0: Today's scripture is found in Matthew 24 and it's 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. "Do you see all these?" he asked. "Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left one will be left one another on another. Everyone will be thrown down." As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. "Tell us," they said, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many of you will turn away from your faith and will betray each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come.
1: Thank you, Paige, for reading scripture for us this morning. So we're continuing in our series in the book of First Thessalonians. So turn with me if you have a Bible with you, if you don't. Uh, There should be one in the pew in front of you. I'd like to start this morning with uh, a quote. Do you know why a ship floats and a stone cannot? Because the stone sees only downward. The darkness of the water is vast and irresistible. The ship feels the darkness as well striving moment by moment to master her and pull her under. But the ship has a secret, for unlike the stone, her gaze is not downward but up, fixed upon the light that guides her, whispering of grander things than the darkness ever knew. This is a quote from Amazon's new series, The Rings of Power, if you're familiar with The Lord of the Rings. Uh, maybe I'm showing my nerdy side here, as you all are looking at me. Um, uh, the Rings of Power uh, serves as a prequel to the more widely known Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, but what you may not know is that the author of the Lord of the Rings books, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, was a Christian. And he was a contemporary of uh, the also famous author C.S. Lewis. And so there isn't one central Christ figure in the Lord of the Rings, but there are many characters who have uh, certain characteristics of Jesus that play out in their actions. You see, what made Lewis and Tolkien so successful is their knowledge of what makes a good story. Good versus evil. Light versus darkness. These are central themes in the stories that they shared. And us, in reading them or watching them, can't help but root for the good guys, right? And so the reason that their stories and, and stories like theirs, the reason why they grip and hold on to us so much is because though they're fantastical, they're probably closer to reality than we might think. And if we look closely at our own lives, we can see good versus evil, light versus dark playing out. And so while Tolkien and Lewis were certainly creative in their storytelling, their stories were based upon a story written long before their own. Their stories are based upon the story of the Bible. And this morning, we'll be looking at what might happen at the end of that story And we'll see light versus darkness in action. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at our passage for this morning. Father, we thank you for this story that you have given us. The story of scripture. A story that tells of uh, the redemption that you have given us. And so we thank you for that. And this morning, uh, we pray that you would speak to us through your word through this story that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We looked at verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4 last week. And we finished up, we wrapped up chapter 4. And so today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I've split this passage up into three parts for us. The first part is the coming judgment in verses 1 through 3. The second part, the response to judgment in verses 4 through 8. The third part, deliverance from judgment in verses 9 through 11. Let me read verses 1 through 3 for us this morning. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Not a very bright picture from Paul this morning. And our passage today is similar yet different from the passage that we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about hope, right? We talked about the hope that we have as we look forward to the glorious day of Jesus' return. But what Paul moves to tell the Thessalonians in chapter 5 is that there is a day coming coinciding with the return of Jesus that isn't as glorious, and it's not as pleasant. And Paul says that They don't need anyone to write to them about this. And that the Thessalonians are already aware that this day is coming. And that this day will come like a thief in the night. And this analogy that Paul uses is one Jesus himself used in Matthew chapter 24. We looked at this a little bit last week, but I'll read uh, the majority of that section for us this morning. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. And so this message from Paul here in 1 Thessalonians is actually a message straight from Jesus. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will be sudden. And as the analogy goes, just like the homeowner does not know when the thief is coming. But in verse 3, we see that Paul is now describing, as I mentioned earlier, a different side of the day of the Lord that we talked about last week. And so it's clear that there are two aspects of the second coming of Christ. Last week, we talked about the hopeful side, the time of restoration. The return of Jesus is a good thing for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And this week, we have to talk about the not-so-good side. The day of the Lord is also a day of destruction. It's a day uh, where the return of Jesus is a bad thing for those who have not. Put their faith in Jesus. And the reason Jesus mentioned the days of Noah was because the day of the Lord will happen in a similar way to the flood story. People will be carrying about their lives, but the problem is not necessarily in what they are doing. Eating, drinking, marrying, those things aren't necessarily bad. But the problem that Paul is identifying is with the attitude of those people. The problem lies in the statement, there is peace and security. And this statement seems innocent enough, right? Peace and security, those are good things that we should seek after. But the question is, where does our peace and our security come from? Does it come from man-made sources, finances, governments, relationships, Or does our peace and security come from our faith in Jesus? The sin that Paul is warning the Thessalonians of is what I've come to call the sin of indifference. And it is subtle, but it's destructive. Indifference is being aware of what God has said to us and then shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, I'm not going to do anything about that. These people that Paul is talking about have heard that the day of the Lord is coming, but their response is, there is peace and security. Their response is, well, things seem fine now. How can the world be ending? How can Jesus be coming back? If things start to get bad, you know, then maybe I'll put my faith in Jesus, but for now, I'll live my life the way that I want to live it. This is the attitude of many in our world today. It's a dangerous attitude to have. The day of the Lord will come suddenly, as Paul says, like a thief in the night. And those who are indifferent to what God has said to them will be caught living their lives the way that they want to live them. And for them, it will be too late. And this is something about God that We don't like to spend as much time talking about right as we've seen throughout this letter we like to talk about god's mercy for us like we did last week we we love the message of hope but we don't like to talk about the not so hopeful message the day of destruction is a result of god's wrath and god's wrath is something that we can't diminish The day of destruction is a punishment that results from the disobedience of God's people. And so often we think of God's judgment as a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing, and here's why. Because to judge means simply to set right. If you think about the judge in a courtroom, their job is to set things right. Their job is to hear cases with two sides— and to settle the matters between the two parties. And people love judgment, right? We love judgment as long as the judgment goes in our favor, right? When the murderer is sentenced to life in prison in that courtroom, the murderer hates the judgment because he is guilty and he would prefer to live his life freely. But the murder victim's family loves the judgment, and rightly so, because the murderer is getting what he deserves. And so on Judgment Day, God's judgment will come down. We will be sitting in that courtroom with God as the judge. All people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All are guilty, and all will receive the punishment they are due for their sin. Unless, and we'll talk about that unless a little later. And so in the face of the day of the Lord and the coming judgment, we must have the right response. Let's look at our next section for this morning. The response to judgment. Let me read verses four through eight for us. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so, as Paul moves on, he says that the Thessalonians are not in darkness, and so the day of the Lord will not be a surprise to them. The Thessalonians are not like those who are indifferent to the coming judgment. The Thessalonians have heard that it was coming, and they have changed their lives accordingly. They have had the correct response. And so they don't need to be afraid of this coming day of the Lord because they are safe from the judgment that is to come. And when that day comes, their response will be rejoicing and not despair. And this correct response comes from knowing one's identity. Paul says that they are children of light. They are children of the day. They're not children of night or children of the darkness. And as Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, the light of life. You see, light reveals. Darkness hides. Day is a time for good activity, and night is a time for bad activity. And followers of Jesus have the light of the world in them, And that changes the way that we respond to this coming judgment. And so Paul lists some clear instructions for the Thessalonians in light of these truths. He says, first, that they must stay awake, second, that they must stay sober, and third, that they must protect themselves. And he probably doesn't mean that they should never sleep. (laughs) I think he's using an analogy there. He's probably not saying that they should never drink alcohol. Paul is probably using these terms figuratively, so we'll look at each of them individually. First, Paul says to stay awake. And by sleep, Paul more likely means living in blissful ignorance. Like what he said in verse 3, those who are saying there is peace and security in the face of the coming day of the Lord. Or as Jesus said about the times of Noah, when people are eating and drinking and marrying, when the flood is coming before them. Being asleep means being indifferent to what God is saying. You see, when God is speaking to us, he wants us to listen. And sometimes we don't like what God has to say to us, right? But pretending like we didn't hear him doesn't work. We can't just hide. We can't just turn our ears off. You see, God wants us to live in a constant state of readiness, prepared to do whatever it is that He has asked us to do. There's a popular phrase in our world today, and I'll poke fun at this. You've probably heard it Stay woke, being alert to injustice in society. But as followers of Jesus, we must stay awake, being alert to what God is saying and doing. And so this means praying, not only talking to God, but listening to how God is talking to you. What has God been saying to you lately? What has he been asking you to do? And are you ready to do what he has asked of you? Is this something that's even on your radar? Are you listening for God's voice in your life? The second thing Paul says is to stay sober. And by sober, Paul likely means living a self-controlled life. We should not let anything get in the way of our readiness to do what God has asked us to do. To use Paul's analogy, it's much easier for one to fall asleep when they are drunk, right? But Paul isn't talking specifically about the vice of alcohol. He's talking about anything that may pull our desire toward it instead of pulling us towards God. There are many things in our lives that can distract us from what God is saying to us. Many things that make us too busy. Many things that we prioritize. And many things that hold us back from what God has asked us to do. And Paul's instruction here is to clear those things out, to clear out the noise so we can listen for God's voice. For the people in verse 3, it is the peace and security that they're experiencing that fool them into thinking that this day of the Lord is not coming. For the people of Noah's day, they were eating, drinking, and marrying. And so this, staying sober, means examining, looking at our lives to see what we are placing our value in. And so this morning, what has been distracting you? What is holding you back? This morning, what might be in the way of you listening to God's voice? And finally, Paul says, protect yourself. It's one last anecdote in verse 8. He instructs them to put on two pieces of the armor, the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of hope for salvation. Paul's reminder is that the life of a follower of Jesus is a battle. It's a battle. And these two pieces of armor protect our most vulnerable areas, the heart and the head. We're attacked by both deceitful desires and deceitful thoughts, things that try to pull us from God. But remembering the importance of faith and love protects our hearts. Remembering the hope of salvation that we have, that we talked about last week, that protects our heads. And so later on in this passage that I read for us from Matthew 24, Jesus says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set over or set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so in this passage in Matthew from Jesus, we see two different responses to the coming judgment. And so this morning, what will your response be? Will you be that good and faithful servant? Or will you be the one who has misused what the master has given them? But let's move on to that unless that I talked about earlier. Our last section for this morning, deliverance from judgment. Let me read verses nine through 11 for us as we close. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Earlier, I talked about how all will receive the punishment they are due for their sins. It's true, unless, unless, Someone has already received that punishment for them. When Jesus died on the cross, he received the punishment for all sin, past, present, and future. Jesus took God's judgment upon himself, judgment he did not deserve. People love to talk about how God's judgment isn't fair. How can a loving God pour out his judgment on people? Was it fair for God's own son to take on judgment he did not deserve? And so God's mercy is his choosing not to punish people for their sin. And that mercy is extended to us because Jesus took on that punishment for us. And all we have to do to receive God's mercy is to put our faith in what Jesus has done for us to accept that sacrifice he's made for us and to declare him as the Lord of our lives. You can't have God's mercy without God's wrath. Otherwise, it isn't mercy if God hasn't saved us from anything. You can't have God's grace without God's judgment. Both are true of his character. And in this closing section, Paul, he points to God's heart In all of this. God has not destined us for wrath. But for salvation. And Jesus died for us. Not just for the awake. But also for the asleep. You see God loves us. He does not want any. To receive his wrath. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 21 through 23, it says this. I fell in love with this verse this week as I studied. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Here's verse 23, God speaking here. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God would much rather his people turn to him and live than to receive judgment. He has given us the means to escape this judgment through Jesus. He has tried and tried to get our attention He's tried and tried to warn us, and he has tried and tried to get get us to love him the way that he loves us. God has delivered us from the judgment that is to come. So Paul closes verse 11 in a similar way that he closed chapter 4 last week. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Just like the message of hope needs to be shared, so does this message of deliverance from judgment. We must wake the world up with this message and warn them of this coming day of the Lord. And there are helpful and unhelpful ways to do this, right? Shouting at people from street corners. Maybe not the most helpful, but it can work. But maybe more practical for us this morning. Weaving this into conversations within the context of the relationships that we have could be more beneficial. And so for us this morning, here are three takeaways from a commentary that I read this week. First, God has secured our future. We don't have to live in fear of the coming judgment because we've been spared from it. Second, We have a limited opportunity to make a maximum impact. We only have a certain amount of time left to share this message. So we must do it with urgency. How many people will we tell about the deliverance that we have received? And finally, because God has secured our future, we must take risks. Just because we are saved from the coming judgment does not mean we get to sit around and do nothing. It's not just our get-out-of-hell free card, right? We have people to tell. And sometimes, because of the security that God has given us, he asks us to be bold in our sharing. You know, I've been moved by these OCC videos and... I heard a story recently about what's going on in China and the sharing of the gospel there. Bibles are outlawed in China, so no one has one. And what the Christians do to share the gospel message is they memorize scripture. And they travel from village to village, and they recite it to people. And someone stands there with a cassette recorder (laughs) and records them so they have a cassette to leave with the Christians in that town. This is bold in the face of persecution of the Chinese government. And so we know the day of the Lord is coming. We know that Jesus has delivered us from judgment. So who are you going to encourage with this message today, this week, and then in the rest of your life. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning we we are thankful for your Son. We're thankful that we have been delivered. And we're thankful for the life that we can have. And God, this is a sobering message. It's sobering to know that there are those out there who need to hear this. God, may we tell them. May we live how you want us to live, listening for your voice, being ready to respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.